Um, We are now in our walking through Romans. We are in chapter 5, and this uh, this chapter, um, honestly, it begins to get real fun going through uh, Romans. It's already been good, but now, as, as my... Um, as my dad used to always say, you get gooder and gooder. And if you got any gooder, be tooger. All right. But, um, but, uh, we're, we're gonna, gonna start looking and my goal is to get through like we did with chapter four. My goal is to get through, um, basically the first half right at just a little under the first half. And I want to get down <clears throat> to verse number 11, uh, tonight and, uh, and look at what we see here. In Romans chapter five. Now, um, as we've done before, I'm I'm going to give you the main theme and key verses that I believe apply uh, in this chapter. So, in chapter five, as you as we go through it, you'll see this. But in chapter five, uh, I believe as a whole, the main theme of chapter five is peace and hope. All right, you'll, you're going to find that talked about and all pieces tied together. But it is, it is peace and hope that we find uh, through the justification that, that Paul's been talking about because of what Christ did for us. And he's going to build on that. We're going to get some very familiar verses even tonight, um, especially with um, uh, Romans 5, 8, and, or I should say even Romans 5, 8, and 9, uh, very often used in giving the gospel, especially the Romans wrote. And uh, but peace and hope is the overall theme, and uh, and then the key verses that I would say um, might seem kind of odd. It's not the beginning. It's not not in the middle. It's actually the very end. Uh, the last four verses of uh, Romans chapter five, uh, for me, kind of sum up the entire chapter's purpose. And uh, and so let me read verse eighteen to verse number twenty one. We're not looking and examining them tonight. But I'm going to read them uh, right now to start things off. So in verse number 18 of chapter 5 here in Romans, it says, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners... So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Don't forget, um, the Bible talks about how that Christ became obedient unto death. Why? Because death had no power over him unless, of course, he became obedient to God's purpose and put himself under the the, um, actions and power of death. Now, death could not hold him. Corruption could not, could not uh, finalize the process. But he did make himself obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, which, by the way, confirms he did not swoon and he did not pass out on the cross. And they put him in a tomb thinking he was dead, but he, was, he wasn't really dead. How do you become obedient unto death if you don't die? And so, again... Bible backs up that he actually did die and raise from the dead. But a um, whole other section, don't want to get too far into that. That'll get me sidetracked. But 
Uh, it goes in the, the obedience of, uh, disobedience of one being Adam uh, to the obedience of one being Christ. He, him being obedient, bringing made, and made many righteous. But then verse number 20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now you might say, why do you, why do you see, Pastor, those, those four verses as kind of the key verses of this chapter? Well, when you're talking about the theme being peace and hope, those four verses summarize why it is we can have peace and hope. Because... Of one diso- one's disobedience, we were all condemned to face death and rejection and hopelessness. But by one's obedience, Christ, we, have, we don't have to worry about the, 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 the guilt and punishment of the disobedient one. We can be saved through the life and the action and the righteousness of the one who was obedient, which was Christ. Therefore, we have hope in the place of hopelessness. And we have peace, which we'll see in a minute, peace in the place of guilt. And, uh, and so those four verses build uh, a very simple understanding of the entire chapter of chapter 5 and give the actual, actual purpose of why peace and hope would even be possible. And so um, let, let's dig straight on in here uh, looking at the first 11 verses. Now, the first four took us a little while, so we'll see what 11 does. But uh, verse number 1 through verse number 11, as a whole, it gives you the understanding or a layout of what God's people can experience. This, the child of God, the saved by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. What we as saved individuals have in peace through faith. All right? So verse 1 through 11 presents us with the the understanding of peace through faith. Uh, Verse number 1 by itself lays out the peace with God. It says there, it says this, Therefore, being justified by faith. So there is the premise, there is the foundation. You don't get the next statement without the first. All right, so justified by faith, then we can look at what comes from it. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it finalizes justified by faith, but faith in what? Faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. And so it is by faith that we receive justification, but that faith is not just in anything. It is in a very specific location of focus, which is Christ Jesus, our Lord. But due to that, we have peace with God. Now, peace with God brings about three different things uh, very quickly. Uh, If you're writing these down, good luck keeping up with me, all right? Peace with God brings about an understanding of peace in the place of guilt. Before God, I stood guilty prior to salvation. After salvation, which brought about justification through faith, 
I now don't stand before God guilty. I stand before him with peace. I don't have to worry, is he going to condemn me? No, because due to my faith being placed in Christ, I have been justified. His righteousness has been imputed upon my account and to me, and therefore, his righteousness placed upon me. I am now clothed in his righteousness, justified by faith, which means I can stand before him in complete peace that I'm not being judged for my sin as to whether or not I get to enter into his presence. That was settled upon the moment of salvation. Therefore, I have peace now in the place of guilt. But also, I have peace to walk in fellowship. I, if I, now again, I understand, we've said there, you know, we, we need to be right with God. We need, we need to be, make sure that there is nothing between my soul and the Savior. I'm saved, but a child of God can be out of fellowship with the Father because when I've not done right and when I have not made it right with my Father, I really don't feel like being in His presence. It's very uncomfortable. But I have the ability as a child of God, when I am clear in my mind and in my heart before God, I have the ability to walk in fellowship peacefully. I have the ability to come before his presence, the throne room of grace, in prayer peacefully. I have the potential to have Peace with God, not just for my eternal sake, but my every single day life and actions. I can be at peace with God because of faith in Christ. Then also, it is the peace of assurance for eternity. It's not just my peace with God that the guilt is gone. It's not just my peace with God that I can walk in fellowship but it is a peace that brings that assurance that I know. I know that I know that I know. I don't have to wake up every morning worried that my dreams I had the night before that probably were not the greatest, or if I know they weren't the greatest, oh my goodness, did I dream something that gave me an evil thought? Oh, I might be going to hell now. I don't have to live every morning waking up wondering, do I need to re get resaved because of, uh, of the, the night's dreams? I don't have to worry. Am I going to? I'm going to live my whole life trying to please God. And then in that last moment, I'm about to have, if I'm going to have a car wreck and I, all of a sudden, here it is, I hit the bridge. I'm going over the bridge. Something goes through my mind that shouldn't be there and I lost my salvation. And I lost it just before I died. I mean, do you realize, and I'm not trying to make light of it, I'm not trying to, to put people down, but you do realize that there are entire religious groups that believe that very thing. In your last moment, if you have a really bad thought go through your mind because of what you're, what's about to happen to you, in your last moment, you're going to lose it. If you don't hold on, stay pure, stay clean, stay righteous. If you don't earn it to the last minute, you're in trouble. But here's the thing. Because of my faith not being relied upon me, but my faith is placed upon 
Christ. It is what he has done, not what I do. I have, the only thing I was required to do was to place my faith in him. In that moment of repentance, which is turning from me and turning to him, in that moment of complete repentance and placing my faith on him, my requirement of of, of that is over with. At that point, my faith is in him and I have committed unto him against that day all that matters. And so therefore, I have peace of assurance for eternity. I can go to bed at night knowing that if I die in the middle of the night, I know where I'm going to wake up. I can go throughout my day. I can go through horrible scenarios. I can go through very dangerous issues. I can have a tornado start blowing through, and I don't have to worry about, am I going to die and go to hell because something happens during that tornado and it shouldn't happen in my mind or whatever? I don't have to worry about that. I know where I'm going. There's an assurance there, and it's settled and done, and that is a peaceful ability to hold on to that assurance. But then, not only peace with God, but verse 2 through 5, Um, presents peace unto hope. So the peace that I have, that the guilt is gone, fellowship is possible, and my eternity is secure. That peace that I have now brings about a hope. So peace unto hope, verse verse number five. Let me read it, and then we'll break it down real fast. It says, by whom also we have access by faith unto this grace. What grace? That grace that brings peace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation. Now, we're going to get to this in just a minute. Just hold on. But we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So we go from peace with God and now it is the peace, it is the peace with God that brings the peace unto hope. We have hope of eternal life, but I have hope if if in, if we have hope um uh it, oh, my, my my brain just died. I quote this in all the time. Um in Jesus Christ in this life if if, if in this life only we have hope we have all men most miserable. I didn't quote it right. But basically, if, if, if it's only in this life that I have hope in Christ, I'm going to be most miserable. But it's not in this life only. It is for all eternity that my hope is secure. And that hope is found in Christ. And it is through the peace that God gives because of salvation, because of justification, because of the righteousness imputed on my life. That peace brings about the hope that makes all things secure. And the hope, now the Bible says in verse number two, here in chapter five, it says that hope is accessed by faith. And so our faith is what gives us access to this hope by whom also we have access by faith unto this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So therefore it is hope accessed by faith. Most people are looking for hope. Most people claim to know Jesus, but they have zero hope, zero peace, zero... And you say, well, what's wrong? Well, it might be they they know Jesus, but they don't know him. The difference in knowing of him and knowing him personally within. And so uh, it is knowing him 
and it is uh, placing faith in him that brings about a peace unto hope. Hope accessed by faith, but then hope, uh, number th- verse 3 and verse 4, is hope increased through a process. Now, here's where it gets fun. Hope increased through a process. Now, we always say this. I hear everybody say it. I hear everybody say it that knows anything about this passage or at least the portion of a verse. We always say, don't ask for patience. Right? Don't ask for patience. Because you know what brings patience, right? Tribulation. Now, hold on. But let me introduce you to something. The first half of that verse that we often forget and don't even really know is there. Verse number three. uh, uh, Yeah, verse number three. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. So we're talking about faith that gives a peace that produces hope. And he's using the term also. So in light of faith, peace, and hope, we glory. It's not, it's not boasting and bragging. We glory. In other words, we appreciate. We are, y'all ready for this one? We are happy for tribulations. Not me. Now watch, we always say, don't ask for peace. Don't pray for don't don't pray for patience. Don't pray for patience because God will send tribulation. Paul's saying we actually appreciate because we have faith that produces peace that gives us hope. We also, with that, learn to glory in or be happy with or appreciate the tribulations. That sounds like insanity, but why? Because it's a process, and you can't get to the end of desired result without the process. What is the process? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, yes, but watch, tribulation worketh patience. Patience, experience, And experience, what's the end result we look forward to? Hope. So tribulation is the beginning of the process. And through tribulation, God teaches patience. And as we gain patience, we now understand and have experience. And through that experience, it drives our hope forward. Can I have the hope without the tribulation, please? You know, can we, can we order up from a different menu? <laughs> please. I don't want that. I just want to get to that. <laughs> you can't get to the hope desired without the tribulation patience experience. Some of us, I know, I know, we're like, yeah, I've got way more experience than I want to have. But here's the thing. Without my experience that came from learning patience that was forced on me because of tribulation, my faith would not grow. Faith only grows when I invest it. 
And why do I need to invest faith if I've got it all figured out? Why do I need to invest faith if, if, if you know, life's a breeze? <laughs> Problem is, life's not a breeze. Tribulation is a regular thing. Sometimes heavy tribulation seems to be a regular thing. But that tribulation, if I allow it, God will teach me patience. And my patience, I learn, then gives me a knowledge of great experience, which then I look back and say, I can see what God has done, and through the hardest times, he came through. Through the times I thought I couldn't make it, he gave me strength. Through all these different things, he did, and I placed my faith in him, and he didn't fail me. My hope has just increased. And the next time I face it, where am I going to get help? Well, I mean, where, where, did, where did the help come from before? Where is the one source that has never actually failed me, though I really thought he was going to be late in the process uh, several times? And still today, I'm like, Lord, I, <laughs> wouldn't it be good to have already answered this by now? Um, but my tribulation taught me patience. My patience gave me some experience. My experience produced hope. And it all goes back to the increasing of my faith in him. So, peace unto hope. It is a hope accessed by faith. It is hope increased through a process. And verse number five presents the hope secured through God's love. That hope finalized. And hope maketh not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because I know it's the hope of eternal life. I'm not ashamed of the, of the God I've placed my faith in. Why? Because he's proven time and time and time again who he is to me. And I'm not ashamed to say he's a lot better to trust in than any man I know. I'm not ashamed to say I would trust him over anybody even in this room. There's a lot of people in here I trust. Most everybody in here I trust, I guess. I just, I guess everybody's like, no, who does he not trust? <laughs> but I don't know of anybody I wouldn't necessarily trust in this room. But here's the thing. When it comes to my trust in you versus my trust in God, he's going to win every time. Why? Because he's never failed no matter how many times he's been tried. My hope is secured in him. And my hope is secured in the fact that I know he loves me better than any of y'all do. He loves me more than my wife does. There ain't nobody here loves me more than my wife. That's why she stuck with me so long. But here's the thing. No matter how much we care for one another, nobody cares for you like him. No matter how much we do for one another, nobody's done any more for you than God has. And so therefore, my hope is secured through God's love. I am not ashamed of who I am in Christ and who my Savior is and who it is that I speak of that matters more than anybody else in this life or eternity. I'm not ashamed. Why? Because my hope in him makes me unashamed. But it goes, it says, that because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. I've got five minutes to finish up these other verses. All right, y'all hold on. So hope unto assurance. So you have peace with God, peace unto hope, and now 
Verse number 60, verse number seven, uh, verse number 11 presents us with hope unto assurance. Now Paul's getting down to the, the quality of hope and the whole purpose of hope is to be assured of that which the peace of God has given, the hope of God has guaranteed, and therefore now I have an assurance in him. He, he just builds and builds and builds. Verse number six says, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, that, that's not all of it, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Now, Verse number 6 through verse number 11 presents this hope unto assurance. The guaranteed assurance I know in whom I have believed and why and how I can trust his guarantee on my eternity. But verse number 6 just simply presents man's state and God's timing. It says, for when we were yet without strength. So what kind of condition were we in when God brought the hope of eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ, we were, we were without strength. We were without ability. We, we, we couldn't stand before him. We couldn't stand before anything. No strength, no ability. We were yet without strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. God's timing is always perfect. Due time, and by fact, that due time, when you, when you look at the, the ministry of Christ, there were numerous times when he left an area or when he did not go to a place or, or when something happened and, and, and he did not allow a particular thing to take place. Um, there are many times that the Bible mentions very specifically that it was not his time yet. God had a perfect plan. That was not only the process of what would take place, but when it would take place. And so in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Man was hopeless. Man had no strength. We had no ability. And yet God had the perfect time and the perfect solution in his time. Then, not only that, verse number 7, lays out the likelihood of one person dying for another. So it's going to present a contrast in verse number 7 and verse number 8. It's going to present just how special what Christ did really was. Verse number 7 says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. In other words, for, for a man that is really not, that, not really guilty. Now, we're not talking about a quality individual. We're not talking about someone who, who people love. We're just talking about somebody who's really not probably guilty of what it is they're accused of. He's not the greatest person in the world, but we know he's not guilty. But who's going who's gonna to volunteer to take his place and die for him? Well, he's really not that big of a help to society anyways. He's not guilty. He's a... The righteous man just means a non-guilty. He's talking about somebody not who's perfect, but someone who's just maybe not guilty of the condemnation that they're about to die for. But who's going to stand up and say, I'll die for that person? I mean, he's, he's, 
he, he sleeps on the streets and really does nothing to help society, but I know he didn't do what he's accused of, so I'll die for him. For, scarcely for that kind of man. It's going to be hard-pressed to find anybody willing to die for that guy. But it goes on and says, Yet peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. In other words, the same, per, same type scenario, not really guilty of what he's accused of, and this next person is a good man. This is somebody that people look up to, somebody who has a great reputation, somebody, honestly, what he's accused of doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Everybody loves this guy. He is useful. He is helpful. I mean, who, who wants him gone? Nobody. And there might be someone in that particular case, there might be somebody who is a person who's not guilty and very productive, very helpful, has probably been over backwards and saved other people's lives in the process, nearly given his own at times. And this individual, he's a hero. Listen, I, he can't die. I, I, I'll take his place. He said, some might even would dare to do that. But we're talking about people who are good. One good and productive, one, one good and not productive. The non-productive one, the non-helpful one, the, the one who doesn't have much rep, good reputation, even if he wasn't guilty, most people wouldn't want to die for him. But the, the good one, he might have some. But what was the condition surrounding Christ's sacrifice? So that's the likelihood of one person dying for another. But what was the condition surrounding Christ's sacrifice? Verse number eight, but God, this is a very, this is well-known verses. But God commended his love toward us. How did he do that? How did he show his love? How did he live out, commended? He lived out his love, love in action. How did he do it? In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Unproductive, but yet not really guilty. Not very many people are going to want to die for him productive and loved and definitely not guilty, some might would be willing to die for that person. But Christ died for people whom nobody would love, nobody would like, and were actually guilty. So the conditions of Christ's sacrifice for man was against all human reasoning. The extent of forgiveness that we find, verse number 9 and 10, the extent of forgiveness we find through Christ is that we are justified by his blood, reconciled unto God, and saved from wrath. Verse number 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So we are justified by his blood, reconciled to God, and through all of that, we are saved by his life from the wrath we deserve. And verse number 11 just wraps it up with a final thought to get through the half of this. And that is the additional blessing of joy. You have peace and hope, which brings assurance and not being ashamed, but it adds the blessing of joy. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. 
So not only, if it wasn't good enough yet, if it wasn't good enough and having peace and, and having hope and assurance and not having to be ashamed and all, boy, if that wasn't good enough, it also, because of everything we know that he did for us when we didn't deserve it because of the condition we were in, no one else would have done that for us, but God's son did that for us. To die on the cross for our sins, to know who I was, who he is, how undeserving I am, how undeserving he was to have to do what he did. He didn't deserve it, and I didn't deserve what I got from it. But because of it, I can have joy. I have a joy because of peace, because of hope of assurance because I don't have to be ashamed. I have joy in God. There are many people in this world that claim to know God and have zero joy. You might know of him. If there is no joy, if there is no peace, if there is no hope, there is no assurance, and you are kind of ashamed of it all, then you might need to go back and reconsider that maybe, since I don't have any of the evidence of faith in Christ, maybe I need to consider that I know of him, but I don't know him. Paul lays out exactly what we get by faith in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.